Hello, hello, friends, family, and colleagues. Welcome to our journey to equity. I'm Tamara. I'm a healthcare executive, and I'm on a journey to explore how healthcare practitioners, our health equity experts, our community leaders, our advocates can help us create health equity in communities of color across all of our communities and how they can empower us and educate us and inspire us to take action on our own. I am so excited to be joined each month by a fellow health equity practitioner and for them to share with us their journey towards health equity and what we can learn to take from them and um, apply that to our own lives and for our families and for our communities. And today I am absolutely thrilled to bring to you all the most phenomenal personal friend of mine. This is one of my day ones. We were at Wake Forest University together, and uh, we have shared so many life experiences together. Please join me in welcoming Miss Terry McGuire. She is a physician assistant, a public health professional, and the founder and CEO of Evolve Wellness Community. Terry, welcome. Thank you so much, Tamara. Thanks for having me. I'm a bit very excited for our conversation today. I am today. so excited for you to join us today. And listen, there's going to be so much that we're going to unpack here. But as you all know, who have been um, following along, and if, if for those of you, this might be your very first episode, as we get started, we always enter our journey together, getting familiar with what brought our fellow journeyer here to this point, exploring both their work and their personal uh, story. So before we get started, just to kind of break the ice a little bit, I will kick off this journey of ours entering together by uh, sharing a little bit of my own personal journey. Health equity. So I grew up in a middle-class family in the South. And so my upbringings were always a huge contrast whether it was me being one of the few black faces in my classrooms or in my schools, um, really for any activity that I was doing, or also um, from a healthcare lens, constantly seeing the contrast between how my family and my extended family and their health um, was in comparison to many of my white counterparts. And so you know, it, it was only further compounded by the fact that as a young girl, we'd be at, you know, the family cookouts or your everybody comes for Thanksgiving or Christmas and you're loading everything on your plate and I would have an aunt nudge me or something and say something like, you're going to be big like us one day, you know, just watch. And so for me, it was also a little bit of fear, but I also just really felt determined. You know, I, I just felt like, you know what? I just don't think it has to be this way because my observations of my white counterparts was that, you know, their families weren't aging with diabetes and high blood pressure and, you know, all of those things. And so I really became determined, even though I didn't have the language at the time to understand what was really going on underneath the surface, I just became really determined to figure out how I could do something with my life to make sure that black and brown families did not have to age with a legacy of sickness, but instead that they could truly have a legacy of health and well-being. 
and, you know, to age gracefully. So over the past 20 years, I have been in a lot of different sectors of healthcare, um, but my focus has always been community health and really looking at population health from the lens of how to help individuals that have been minoritized, marginalized communities be empowered and close those health disparity gaps. And so that is really what has led me to this point today. There's so much that happened in between there, but that's for another day. Today, we're here to talk about Mrs. McGuire and her journey. So that was the quick version of mine, but now we want to explore. We want to get, you know, the long runway into what your journey was like, Terry, and what brought you here. So can you take us through your journey? Yeah, so I will certainly be happy to do that. So I, growing up, was always interested in health and wellness, and I'm trying to think exactly about the point when it actually started. But I will say I navigated my own personal health challenges as a little girl, um, whether it was being in healthcare appointments for asthma, exacerbations, or being hospitalized for seizures. I was exposed to healthcare at a very early age, I believe. I mean, it was elementary school, clearly. And so, and a lot of my providers were Black Hmm. providers. So my pediatrician was a Black woman. And so just knowing and seeing that in front of me, just knowing that that was an avenue to be able to help people to feel better. Essentially, you know, as a little kid, you just want to run, you want to play like everyone else. But if I'm, I can't breathe because I'm in the middle of, you know, an asthma flare, that's difficult. And if I'm hospitalized, I'm away from my friends. So that is really kind of the crux of really what helped me to turn on that light bulb with like, oh, this is this is what I could see myself doing one day. But thinking about specifically like the light bulb for health equity, I'm thinking back and that too was in elementary school. My first encounter, of course, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't have the language, but I attended a seminar at Winston-Salem State University and Ray Lewis Thornton was having a seminar and talking about her experience of being diagnosed with HIV Mm. in the Mm. late eighties. And it was the early nineties that she basically started to go public with her story. She was on the cover of Mm -hmm, Essence magazine mm -hmm. and again, did not have the language of health equity at the time, but just knowing that there was this fixation on men who have sex with men, people who use drugs as the primary population to to get HIV. And so now here enters this young black woman who's, you know, educated, mm-hmm. who is not a drug mm-hmm. user and now is HIV positive. And so really just hearing her story was really an eye opener for me, just like, oh my God. So this virus that is negatively impacting people's lives, their quality of life, the the trajectory of their life was really just like one of those things, you know, it was a moment, of course, I go back to playing and, (laughs) you know, doing things, but that really sticks out to me. And then I think about when I learned about the eugenics movement, and this was in high school that I recall reading the newspaper and learning about people who were forcefully Mm -hmm. sterilized, you know, trying to seek compensation for their experience. Again, not having the language, but as I'm older, that particular situation sticks out to me because 
it was now this understanding, okay, I do want to go into the medical field, but now understanding that our medical system was involved in sterilizing people because they were not deemed worthy, because they were deemed inferior. And that was really uh, an experience that really just shook me up because it's like, I want to be a part of, I want to go into this profession, but now I have to deal with the fact that this profession perpetuates a lot of abuse, you know, on people who are black, on people who are poor, people who have disability. So that is a little bit of my experience. I did not let that that stop mm-hmm. me, obviously. So I went on to study public health. I think public health is awesome. And I think it really helps to inform my practice as a healthcare provider. So I, you know, continued on that trajectory of wanting to change the narrative, essentially. So I studied public health at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And then I went to Duke University Physician Assistant Program to hopefully help to combine public health and medicine and make difference in kind of my early exposure and things that I saw that were issues mm-hmm. and just how people were disproportionately impacted and how, how health outcomes and statistics did not bode well for people who are black and brown and queer mm-hmm. and disabled and older. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of these these populations that are stigmatized and just trying to make a difference. So I am here. I am now practicing medicine, but of course there was still something in me that wanted to do more. And so that is what led me to launch Evolve Health and Wellness Community, where we specifically focus on improving personal health literacy and organizational health literacy. So education is a big part of public health and primary prevention to help to prevent disease. And so just making sure that we're closing communication gaps because that contributes to poor health Mm -hmm. outcomes. Health equity is so big. And so where I want to make a difference in is just ensuring that people are educated, they know what options are available to them so that they can make informed decisions about their health care. And also helping institutions make sure that they their initiatives, their education, everything that they are doing is done from an equitable standpoint. Yes. Doesn't mean equal, it means That's equitable right. because everyone does not need the exact same thing because they have different stories, they come from different backgrounds. And so that's the short version of kind of the trajectory of what brings me here. No, that's great. (laughs) I want to unpack some of that. So something, it seems like something in you just sort of woke up at some of these key Mm -hmm. moments in your life. Why do you think those were head turning moments for you? Because I know in like, you know, certain classes and seminars, there's 100, 200 kids in there (laughs) and there's 100 and 200 ways that the kids are walking out of that experience. But for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, you walked out different from both of those experiences. Yeah. So I think with the Ray Lewis Thornton experience, um, it was just a fact that she's a black woman, you know, and one day I would grow up to be Mm -hmm. a black woman. And there are so many black women in my family that were, you know, very similar to her and, So just knowing that, you know, sometimes when you hear about health conditions, you kind of feel far removed from things if you don't fit a particular population. Mm -hmm. And so when 
you know, you start to see, oh, this could potentially be me. This could potentially be other people in my family. It really just makes to makes you broaden your perspective on like, oh, how can we prevent this? And then also it just, it is helpful now that I have the language of just destigmatizing. Yeah. So obviously like when, when we're not impacted by a health condition, we look to that group like, oh, that's a mm-hmm. them thing. Is not a mm-hmm. me thing. And so therefore I am not involved or I don't have any responsibility. So there's also this personal introspection of just like, no, this is a collective thing that impacts all of us. Um, and then I would say with the eugenics, it's very similar. So in contrast to, you know, your upbringing, like I did, was not raised in a middle-class family. And so, you know, just thinking about people who were poor, just Mm -hmm. literally not being deemed worthy. And it's really, it's so unfortunate because there's so many systemic things that contribute to someone's socioeconomic status. And so when you take into account, you know, the systemic issues and not just looking at personal choice, then you understand that this was just a, this was a very wrong way. That's right. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a really a light way to, to put it, but this really bizarre way of thinking and really just grouping these people into um, enforcing them to, to a condition or circumstance in their life where they cannot bear children. And that takes away um, a big part of their lived experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it really just sh- shook things up is, you know, really just in terms of justice and really in terms of just how we all can play a part in helping to view people and and humanize people. Yes. Really make it human. I, I love that so much. There are so many times when I go out and I'm um, speaking to an audience that is not familiar with health equity social determinants of health, health disparities. It's like I'm speaking Mm -hmm. a foreign language. And so I'm starting very foundationally. And what I have found that I need to do in the front of every one of these speaking engagements is to help people understand that this is not the the things I'm going to talk about. This is not a them issue, right? Mm -hmm. We have to stop looking at populations of people, communities of people, that are suffering from these inequities and uh, because Mm -hmm. of social systems and structures and things like that, start thinking that, stop thinking that this is a them issue and and not recognizing how much we are all connected to one another in these issues. And you having that moment where you were able to see yourself in Mm -hmm. the community that is afflicted and affected, I think, you know, for some, you know, they may say, well, you know, that that just is not my experience, but we can even look yeah. at this economically. You know, the healthcare, mm-hmm. the burden of the healthcare system overall in the United Absolutely. States, the financial burden is astounding mm-hmm. in comparison to other industrialized countries. And so, yes, we are all mm-hmm. affected because now yeah. it's all something that, you know, economically we're suffering under the weight of. So um, mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. so important to bring that up and really just to humanize, to understand that even if it isn't your personal experience, 
we can all at least align under the fact that we are human, (laughs) you know, and there is some common ground in just the fact that we all have hearts that are beating and lungs that are breathing Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Okay. So then, so you've moved, you know, into this space where you're really, you know, you know you want to do public health and you want to practice. You actually want to have that hand on hands-on practice. Can you talk to us about that transition between or or evolution perhaps between really, you know, the the academic rigor of figuring out, you know, how to establish yourself in the field to then moving into practice? Yeah, so it's so interesting because I had an advisor when I was studying public health and he knew about my plans to go to PA school. And he said, you know, it's, it's really not possible to, to do public health and medicine because they're two very different disciplines. And, you know, of course, this young, aspiring practitioner, I am on the other side of his desk and I'm like, how dare he tell me this? He does not know what he's talking about. Like, I'm going to do it and I'm going to be the person that shows him how it's done. And, you know, and of course he's a white man. So there's also just that, you know, in the, in the equation. And later I started to understand better what he meant, you know, public health and medicine, they do take very different approaches. And so you have public health that is prevention-based and you have medicine that is Mm treatment-based. And so you have more funding as it comes to to medicine and you don't have the same as it relates to public health. So a lot of times it is, it does feel like this uphill climb to to do both of them. But I will say that I did take all of my education from learning about public health, from learning about the social determinants of health And using that as a lens, using health equity as a lens, as a practitioner. So I I even remember sitting in a class and learning about, you know, creatinine and GFR. Mm -hmm. And when we learned about it at the time, you know, there was a different calculation for Black people versus non-Black people. And I was sitting there and I was struggling. For those that aren't familiar, what is creatinine? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so creatinine is a marker that can help to reflect kidney mm-hmm. function. And so creatinine and your GFR glomerular filtration rate just helps us to understand how well your kidneys are working, how well your kidneys are filtering waste from the body. And so the higher the your creatinine level, your number, that is not seen as your kidneys are doing well. And the higher your glomerular filtration rate, it is, you know, your kidneys are filtering very well. So there is a different calculation for Black people versus non-Black people. And I remember sitting in my chair and I was unsettled and I'm like, this isn't making sense why there is a difference. And I, I, I mustered up the courage to raise my hand and I said, why is there a different calculation for Black and non-Black people? I can tell my my professor was a little bit uneasy because she could not answer the question. She honestly just did not know. It's, it's almost like, well, this is the mm-hmm. way it is type of thing. And here we are, fast forward all these years later, and now we have, you know, this, this calculation now removing race as a factor because it is unfounded. It wow. should not be a factor. And basically it helped to decrease how interventions were for black people. So because 
there was this calculation where it made it seem like their kidneys were filtering better because they had a higher filtration rate when in actuality they did not, that preventing them for getting, from getting care as well as kidney transplants when they yeah. were needed. But yeah. that also speaks to the importance of understanding and having the courage to ask the hard questions, right? Why is this yeah. different? Where did that come from? And now all these years mm-hmm. later, we find out, you know what? There really is no true basis for having this yeah. difference in the data. And right. it actually could be increasing mortality for a group of mm-hmm. patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That is so important is, is just being brave to ask the mm-hmm. question and having the language, I think is another big part of just the journey and just learning as much as we can as practitioners to have the language to be able to impact. Wow. Change. So you determined in your mind <laughs> that you were going to be the one that was able to practice medicine with a public health lens. <laughs> do you yeah. believe that you have been able to do that as a PA? Yeah. So I absolutely am always thinking about community. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about social determinants of health. So when I see a patient in front of me, it's more than the symptom. Mm-hmm. It's more than those 15 to 20 minutes that we have together that is impacting their Mm -hmm. health. And so I definitely always have my lens and I also feel that it's helpful and I also feel limited by it because of time constraints, because sometimes there is loss to follow up. And so I may just have that one 15 to 20 minute time slot, and that may be all I have with a patient. So while I'm using that lens, I do feel limited in my ability mm-hmm. to allow that to translate to someone's life for a longer period. So when we talk about, I'm sorry, it's, when we talk about yeah. social determinants of health, because you've mentioned it a couple of times, and I want to make sure mm-hmm. that our audience is able to follow along. What do you mean when you're looking at the patient in front of you and you're considering the other elements of their lives? What do you mean by social determinants of health? Yeah. So it's essentially every people's environment. So where do they live? Where do they work? Where do they learn? Where do they play? Where do they worship? So it's just all of these things that go into making someone who they Mm -hmm. are, all of their experiences, their environmental impact. So that is their social determinants of health. And all of those things impact people. So even just thinking about where someone lives. So when we think about redlining and just knowing that communities can even be hotter, five to 12 degrees hotter in the summertime because they live in a Mm redline community. And those are things that you have to be mindful of. Like when we're thinking about hot summer months and there are heat waves and heat advisories. And if, you know, someone is going to have enough air conditioning, I mean, we hear about it every season, whether it's someone dying from a winter storm, it's someone dying because it got too hot outside. Like all of these things impact people. And so if you're not able to gauge all of this information in a healthcare appointment and kind of know what influences how people come to decisions that they make? How can you effectively make healthcare recommendations that are literally going to land for them? That's powerful. It's just, it's impossible. (laughs) And so it's like, I still disagree with my, I understand what the advisor was trying to tell me, but I wish that 
we lived in a world that there was more overlap between public health and medicine because it's necessary. They they should be inextricably absolutely like seriously. absolutely because yeah. as individuals, while our bodies are what are being treated, our bodies are impacted, like you said, and influenced by the environments yeah. that we live in. So just going back to yeah. redlining to touch on that for those that may not be aware, redlining historically was just major policy, racist policies, essentially, that yeah. occurred in multiple communities across the United States, primarily in, in Jim Crow days, where they literally took mm-hmm. out maps of entire communities and drew lines around areas that would be intentionally underinvested in or disinvested in. And so communities Mm -hmm. of color obviously were primarily the target for these red line communities. And to this day, you can see where communities that were historically redlined in the 50s and the 60s and such um, now are some of the highest areas of poverty, concentrated poverty in many communities. The the Mm -hmm. infrastructure is very poor in many of these communities. So to Terry's point earlier, that's why in some of these communities, it can be five to 10 degrees warmer. The water Mm -hmm. quality is um, poorer in many of these communities as well. The The air air quality, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So as a patient, Mm -hmm. when you go see your physician uh, or your PA or whoever your provider is, and they have 15 minutes with you, and they're looking at your symptoms, mm-hmm. how can we possibly uh, really help yeah. the whole person without understanding yeah. the environment that they are coming from um, that's also contributing to the health condition? So yeah. this this issue, again, of really seeing the human um, rather than just mm-hmm. the number or the statistic, that, that seems to be a common mm-hmm. theme that has stirred, been stirring in you your entire life. So let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's, move to the next point of our journey together, which I like to call endure. Because every journey comes with its unexpected twists and turns. And as a community, Mm -hmm. I truly believe that we can gain strength from learning from others and um, really just, you know, benefiting from understanding the experience of those around us um, about how you've endured. So talk us through what's something that you've something unexpected that you've encountered along your journey? And what is something that you've learned as a result of that unexpected moment? Yeah. So I think what's unexpected is that no matter how much research is available, no matter how many statistics there are available that speak to disproportionate impacts of various health conditions on people who are marginalized. There still is not a lot of emphasis. There's still not a lot of urgency to rectify systemic Mm -hmm. issues. And that is very disturbing is very discouraging. And so that is just very baffling to me, but it really just speaks to, I mean, medical racism is a real thing. And so it's alive, it's well. And just because someone studies medicine, it does not make them a good person Mm. per se. And so there are people who practice medicine who are not good Mm -hmm. people. And so that has been 
a hard thing for me to just deal with because you say like, oh, you know, this person is helping someone to feel better. But if you don't necessarily, if you're not willing to expand, not willing to to learn and to adjust your practice, then this is how so many issues are going to continue to be perpetuated. And so I would say I, I learned that and it just kept, you know, the fire inside of me has, has never, you know, um, mm-hmm. died mm-hmm. essentially. And, you know, I think there are situations and circumstances that may dim the light because it's, it's just, you know, it just seems exhausting. Yes. Sometimes it seems like the problems are so big and it's just like, oh, we're not going to achieve health equity in, in, in my lifetime. But what has helped me to endure is is my fire and just knowing that my experiences help to inform how I show up as a healthcare provider. And I know that there are people who come in and they they see themselves in me and it, it makes them more comfortable to be vulnerable in a healthcare appointment. And it helps to to shift their perspective and how and maybe pre- past experiences and how they've had to interact with healthcare providers in the past. So for me, it's just knowing that even if it's just one person, mm-hmm. knowing that I made a difference and just seeing what's in front of me and knowing that I I can impact change in my yes. my circle. Yes. And know that that is substantial, you know, even if there is not buy-in from people who are leaders of organizations, just knowing that I can make a change that helps people, um, that can then help their people in their circle. And just that, that has, that has just helped me to, to keep going. It's just, just being in touch with that flame and my light and knowing that there is something inside of me that is meaningful and can really help people. That is so beautiful and well said. It's the ripple effect, right? And it's knowing that the care that you're providing and the passion that you have is not just something that was sparked years ago, because yes, it was sparked, but you have continued to cultivate that flame mm-hmm. um, to make sure yeah. that you you are educated, that you understand the pulse of the community, of the experiences of the community, not just one part, but truly the, the diversity yeah. of the community and the diversity yeah. of experiences. And I feel that so much when you say that everyone that practices medicine is not a good person and or perhaps yeah. is not an evolved thinker, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, we all understand, well, cultural competence and implicit bias. Implicit bias is something that we all carry. It's our job to make sure that we understand our own bias and to check that bias, right? When we're working with individuals, yeah. especially as we are trusting medical providers to treat us mm-hmm. in an unbiased way, to, to look at our healthcare yeah. information in the context of who we are as a human and to make decisions on our behalfs that that will help us to, to achieve the best possible outcomes. But in reality, mm-hmm. that that's not always the reality. That doesn't always happen. 
And so mm -hmm. I, I think this is such a, a nice segue into um, the work that you founded with Evolve Wellness Community as CEO and founder. I, the, the next part before we finish our journey together is really talking about how your work has evolved. But I think that Evolve Wellness Community is, I, I'm excited for you to share with everybody what it is, but I think it is such a beautiful evolution of your entire journey thus far and to the things that you have spoken about with understanding that all medical providers really don't understand, you know, uh, the full mm -hmm. context of the person sitting in front of them. And they may be making decisions that are not in the best interest of their patients and their mm -hmm. members. And so it's not, you know, it's really important that we as a people do not completely rely solely on our provider to know and to do mm -hmm. all the right things. You know, there's an element of this that, you know, we need to be equipped with the language and um, we need to be equipped with how to understand what's being told to us and how do I interpret this? Mm -hmm. Because let's, let's also be real. Medical jargon is confusing, yeah. you know, and let's not yeah. even get into yeah. <laughs> the insurance side of the house. So talk to us a little bit about you know, no pun intended, but how has your work evolved <laughs> and mm -hmm, how have your goals mm -hmm. evolved as a result of the lessons that you've learned? Yeah. Evolve Health and Wellness Community is, is my baby. It's my newest baby. Honestly, the work has literally taken so much from my journey. So all of the things that you've heard me talk about, I've taken from that. It has informed the work that I have created and I am actively creating because even, you know, where we are now, we will continue to evolve and just to inform how we do the work that we do in reaching populations. So again, just wanting to have a broader reach. And so I can have as many patient encounters as I want to, but just from my personal experience and from my professional experience, I have seen so many communication gaps. I have literally seen people leave a hospitalization and do not know their mm -hmm. diagnosis. So if you don't know your diagnosis and you don't know what the next steps are, I have seen people sit through a medical procedure and have no idea. They don't know what it was It was for. Like a pap smear, had no idea it was to check for human papillomavirus, had no idea what it was about. And so it really, this work at Evolve is really to help educate, to inform people to make sure that they know, one, what is being discussed at your healthcare appointments in those 15 yes. to 20 minutes. It's not a lot of time. And so there's even statistics that chronic disease management does not happen in this appointment. It happens That's outside good. of the appointment. That's when you're taking your medication. Yeah. That's when you may have to follow up with specialists. You have to do it on the day to day. So making sure that we're closing the gaps between these very short healthcare appointments, closing the gaps between patients and their healthcare providers, because there's so many factors. There's cultural incongruence. There's, you know, a lot of times patients feel intimidated. And so they aren't comfortable talking about what is really ailing them in their healthcare appointments. So ensuring that patients are understanding what's happening in their healthcare appointment, and then also knowing what options that they have available. So if you have been diagnosed with high blood pressure, 
just because one medication was discussed, let's talk about all of the medications that are yes. available. Let's talk about their side effects. Let's talk about what types of things you need to be doing as far as preventing other things that can happen as a ripple effect from your high blood pressure. So just making sure that patients are well informed, that that medical jargon is broken down for them. So that's personal health literacy. So it's ensuring that patients are able to find, use, and understand healthcare information, not only for themselves, but sometimes as caregivers, Mm. if you're helping navigate a healthcare journey for a loved one. And then also for healthcare organizations. So there's organizational health literacy as well. So it's being able to make sure that your practices are equitable to make sure that patients Patients are able to do those three things in a way that works for them. And so it's so near and dear to my heart. I want to see patients thriving and as well as they can be. I want to see healthcare providers continuing to learn. So continuing medical education is a thing. We should always be doing it and not just as it relates to to treatment, but also health equity. We need to know what types of things are impacting people. And when they show up at this healthcare appointment, making our lens a little bit broader, communicating with patients in an empathetic way, challenging our healthcare systems to give more time in, the, in our healthcare appointments, not be so fixated on productivity and the money side of things, but more the patient and, and centering the patients. So it's so, so much. There's so many things I love about the work that I do at Evolve. And we're just getting started. Oh my goodness. And I think that the world is better because of it. So if, if, so, so let me ask this question um, before we get to, yeah. and I think it, it might actually answer the, the final part of our journey, which is elevate. So we've been on this journey together and, you know, we've explored your journey. Um, we've learned how you've uh, evolved your work and developed Evolve. And now we're sort of at the top and we want to continue to elevate this work and we want to continue mm-hmm. to elevate you in this work. And we as a community want to be elevated through the work that you're doing. And so it's a little bit of a leading question, but so let's say I am a caregiver for my aging parents and I don't live close by um, and I want to help make some of these you know, understand what's going on with their condition and help them make some informed healthcare decisions. How do I get involved with Evolve? You know, what what is the what are the steps um, that I would need to make? Yeah, so you can certainly reach out to me via the website. So Evolve Health and Wellness Community dot com is the website, and um, you can submit an inquiry or you can actually schedule a consultation, and so we can talk about what the specific needs are and how we can develop resources to ensure that you are able to be able to be present for a parent or a loved one that you are supporting. I think the COVID-19 crisis really showed us how we can utilize virtual Mm -hmm, tools. mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times people are not early into the pandemic, people are not able to be there in person to support their loved one. And so using an iPhone, using another caller, um, a video call feature so that you can be present 
remotely. And so that is a big way to be able to support and just knowing what resources. And so a lot of times people don't know about all of the time it takes to to figure out what resources are available to you, what it is that you need to support you in your journey. And so that is another big part of Evolve. And as we grow, you know, I mentioned we just launched a year ago, but as we grow, hopefully and expand the team, we'll be able to offer that service to be on site mm-hmm. providing mm-hmm. Uh, support as well for patients. Listen. I think one thing COVID certainly taught us is that we can be connected without having to be yeah. in the room together. So yeah, very grateful that you have a model that's able to be virtual and where people can plug into yeah. you all online. Mm-hmm. So what's yeah. something that we as a community can do to elevate you, Terry? Yeah. So networking, definitely spreading the word. So as I talked about, there's this trickle, you know, the ripple effect. And so it trickles down. If you are appreciating the work, if you know someone who can benefit from the work, share. You know, we don't just work with people who have been diagnosed with an illness. We've stated multiple times how complex our medical system is. I've had people to reach out and like, hey, you know, I I don't necessarily have a medical issue, but I just don't really know how to navigate Mm -hmm. the system. You mentioned Tamara insurance, and a lot of times that can be difficult. Has your deductible been met? And what does this bill mean? And like, is this this outpatient, they're connected to a hospital. So then you have to pay the, the not only the provider bill, but also the facility bill. Like it's so many different things that can really, you know, have your mind swirling. And especially if you're sick and you're yes, doing this, like yes. it is so difficult. So really just knowing that Evolve Health and Wellness Community is a resource, letting people know about it. If you know about people, I have no problem asking for funding so that we can get some things off yes. the ground that really take a lot of money. Like seriously, um, you know, to be able to do a lot of the things to help to continue and to push this work forward. Awesome. Well, Terry, thank you for creating a resource that is so needed in the community. Y'all heard it first. Please plug in to Evolve Health and Wellness Community. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much for spending your time this afternoon here with us. And thank you all. Thank you to our wonderful community for plugging in and for listening or watching whatever platform that you are using for following us on this journey. And um, remember that you can follow us at Our Journey to Equity on Instagram, and that's with a number two, or you can follow and um, plug in and engage with the show website at www.ourjourneytoequity.com. And that's an equity to equity with a T-O. So thank you all again for engaging with us. Thank you for joining us on our journey today. Till next time.